So if I were to ask you a question, what do you delight in? For some of you, it could be a big scoop of vanilla ice cream. For others, it may be a fresh baked apple pie. For some of us, it's both combined. Amen? What brings you joy? Is it the weather in Eagle this time of year? Or is it a nice long run or a hike or a day on the mountain? For some of us, it's both combined. And what do you long for? Uh, Do you long? For some of you, you may long for school to be over. For others, it may be a vacation. For some of us, it could be both combined, right? And, And what are you connected to? Are you connected to your smartphone? Are you connected to Facebook, for some of us, it's both combined. And finally, what, what are you dependent on? Air, food. Some of us, it's the weekend or whoever wins on the weekend. These things can be good and they can be bad and there's no harm in them. But let me ask you these questions in a different manner. Who do you delight in? Who brings you joy? Who do you long for? Who are you connected to? And who do you depend on? Certainly and ultimately it is the Lord Jesus, no doubt. But let me read you the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians two seventeen through 20. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you, are our glory and joy. For Paul and for Silas or Silvanus and for Timothy, for pastors and elders, their joy are God's people. And for all of us, our delight should be the people of God. And Paul's going to explain why he had been away and what he had longed for and his satisfaction in them. And so we're going to see the love of God by the power of God's grace. And so our delight is the people of God. That's who our delight is. It could be vanilla bean ice cream on top of a fresh baked apple pie combined. It could be, absolutely. But ultimately, our joy is in the people of God. And well, that's really penultimate because ultimately our joy comes from the person of God. He is the only one who can satisfy every craving of the human heart. Desserts are foretastes of the marriage supper to come. Uh, Time outdoors or out of school in beautiful places. And some of you go to school in beautiful places. Is a foretaste of where we'll spend eternity. But the one who gives us these good things, he gives us them as parables of what's to come and of himself. And we must never mix the giver with his gifts. And at the same time, we should find pleasure in those things. We should find more pleasure in the people of God, not as replacements for God, but as the people of God. They are, as Paul said, our joy and glory. First, let's look at Paul in 17 and 18. He talks about his separation. We were torn away from you. We were literally orphaned. 
Paul said we were taken away by force. We were, the word in the Greek is where we get our word kidnapped. We were kidnapped. And Paul was, that was his separation, but he had a passion for these people. He, notice how he describes it. We were torn away from you, brothers, over and over. You're going to see him use this over and over in the book of 1 Thessalonians and all over his epistles. Brothers, or his brothers, some translations put it, brothers and sisters. He longs for these people. He calls them his family. He used last week to, to care for them as a mother would her children and to direct them as a father. And here he says, we were orphaned. We were like kids and we were taken away from you. For a short time, not in person, not in heart. Oh, we were taken away, but we still endeavored. We made every single effort more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. That was his passion. But there was a recognition. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, when it says here, Satan hindered us, here's what it does not say. That you have the devil and you have God and they've got this big battle going on and the devil is as powerful as God. What it does say is that the devil is opposed to God's ways. And on the next slide, I believe in Acts 16, 6 and 7, you can see, and this is Paul's uh, missionary journey and recorded in Acts by Luke. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so... There, it seems to say that the Spirit hindered Paul. And here Paul said it was Satan who hindered him. And so to put these two things together, it's not co-equals, as if uh, the Spirit and and the devil are kind of out there and who's going to get the the best of Paul and Timothy and Silvanus. What we have here is we have God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to his providential plan, allows Satan to work at times. In a close reading of uh, the first two chapters of the book of Job will show you that the devil, Satan here, the accuser, is always and only allowed to act in accordance with God's providential plan. Always and only acts with what God allows him to do. And, And my hands, I put God here and Satan here is not even close, right? But I just want you to see it's not this good versus evil, the yin and the yang, right? Uh, It is God and Satan. And for reasons known to God, Job never got a reason, right? He never got a reason. He got a who, not a why. For, For reasons God keeps for himself, he'll reveal them to him someday, maybe. He allows Satan to work, and that's what he did here. But... Paul didn't give up in his desire. He goes on to say about the Thessalonians, for who is our joy? Who brings us joy? Who is our crown? This was the victory wreath won after an event, so everybody knew who the winner was. And so Paul, as a victorious athlete, wanted the world to know, who is the one that that, that God is winning at work and in life? It's you, Thessalonians. And as a proud parent, Paul wanted the world to see the people he poured his life into. And you notice how he phrases it. Who our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus. No other book in the New Testament, that phrase, our Lord Jesus, is used 24 times in the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, more than any other book in the New Testament. 
And so this book about history and hope is tied together with that thread that Christ Jesus, the King, the Lord, is ruling at God's right hand, even though sometimes Satan may think he can thwart God's plan until he comes again. And our joy shouldn't just be the pleasures that God gives us in food and activity, but it's God's people. That is our delight. Our glory, our public declaration, my public declaration to those at Yetis is I, what do you do? I'm a pastor of Eagle Bible Church. And they see us meeting with different people in there and, and they see the joy and the laughter that goes on and the personal delight is in the people of God. And so we desire for what we delight in and Paul shows you his desire here in 3, 1 through 5. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, the we being Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, and quite possibly Luke, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass and just as you know. By the way, that phrase, as you know, this is the third time it's it's said by Paul. You've heard it said before, people don't necessarily need new information. They just need to be reminded of that old, old story. As you know, and for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so we we are introduced to Timothy here. He's our brother and he's God's co-worker. One study Bible says this idea of God's co-worker, God's servant, is a remarkably lofty title. Paul seems to be highlighting Timothy's credentials to offset any negative sentiment on the part of the Thessalonians. Paul is not sending his junior associate. He is sending himself. And so Timothy, our brother and fellow co-worker, people of Eagle Bible, we are to be a family of laborers by the grace of God with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Timothy was sent on a mission. He was to minister to the Thessalonians, establish them in their faith, exhort them in their faith. And then he was to report back to Paul. And that idea of establishing them in their faith was to strengthen them, to encourage them. And it, when he, that exhort is the parakaleo. It's the same word used of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit often uses people in our lives to encourage us and move us along in the faith. And the Thessalonians had come under some affliction. And so Paul was sending Timothy back to exhort them and say, hey, you knew this was coming. I told you this. Paul told you this was coming. And this is a sobering reminder that afflictions are no accident, but an integral part of the life of the Christian. Right? I don't even have to do an illustration. I just do that's my illustration. Didn't plan it that way, but that's... No accident. Amen? God is sovereign. And so Paul knew this in his own life. If you look at the next slide in Acts 14, 22, um, here's what it says. Paul and Barnabas were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And Paul, on his way to the Jerusalem council, suffering persecution, 
joyful the whole time. The Thessalonians had come under affliction. Therefore, this was this temptation, verse 5, that they would drift away, that the tempter would have his way with them. The tempter being Satan, introduced to us in 2.18. But Leon Morris says it best. Paul thinks it's probable that Satan has applied pressure to the Thessalonians, but improbable that they have given away. And so having this delight and this desire and this desire is unmet surfaced something in Paul's heart. And you see it in 6 through 10. But now Timothy has come back to us. So he and Silvanus and Timothy were there, quite possibly Luke. I don't get into that because it doesn't really help move the, the uh, part of this letter on. But some people think Luke was there with the language being used. And so Paul sends Timothy. They, they loved Timothy. They said, man, we're going to be left alone. Here's our guy. They send him, he comes back, and here's the report. But now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought to you us the good news of your faith, the gospel of your faith, that's great, the gospel of your faith, and love and reported to you, reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, there it is again, and in all our desires and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. On your outline there, you see this discovery, having this delight and the desire unmet surface something in Paul's heart that the life of believers is intertwined with God's people. Life is intertwined in the people of God. It's intertwined so much so that if the illustration I came up with is that this is the tapestry of ministry. If you see the next slide, if you look at the backside of a tapestry, have you ever seen the backside of a tapestry, right? You could get confused and maybe even discouraged, like, what's this? But by God's grace and for God's glory, what he does is he gives us wisdom and we can see the front of the tapestry and we can see what God is doing. The tapestries, if you only see the backside, you can get confused. Well, who fits with who and who goes where? And and isn't this, this isn't really making anything. But if you turn that tapestry over, God is at work. And that's the intertwining of God's people. So much so, look at verse 8. I would say this is the key verse for this section. This is the verse of why we say, Prince of Peace, where we have men and women working together in harmony. This is the verse that not one year into our marriage, my sweet bride who is a counselor, right? Like all of you learned in Sunday school, counseled me with these loving words. She said, just go read your Bible, right? Got all this stuff, these papers that I'm doing. And she said, sweetie, probably said sweetie. Don't remember exactly. Why don't you just go read your Bible? So I go into the library and it was one of those days where I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to pick, they had a selection of Bibles. I said, I'm just going to pick one off the shelf. I picked Ryrie's study Bible. I don't know why. Just picked it up. And I said, I'm just going to read First Thess. And I'm going to read it in one sitting. Just sit down. It takes about 15 minutes. And this verse, actually, 2.13 jumped off the page. Not literally, figurative speech. And this verse. For we live, for now we live, If you are standing fast in the Lord, that's huge. 
My life is, I, I can live. One commenter says this, we can now breathe again. It's kind of the modern idiom we use. We, we, bre- we breathed again. We are, oh, I got that call. Look on my phone, it's Pittman. Hey, Judd, this is Pittman. I'm good. We live, we here live when he stands firm in the faith. This means we are interdependent on one another. It doesn't mean we're independent and we live our own little lives or we live our own little lives with our family. It means we're interdependent. And it doesn't mean codependent, not some weird psychological codependency on the approval of others, or, but it's interdependent, it's entwined. Our desire is the people of God... Our delight is to be with the people of God and our discovery is that our lives are connected together and this satisfied Paul. For what thanksgiving can we return to you, God for you? For all the joy we feel for your sake before the Lord. His desire was met in the report. As we pray earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Whoa, Paul, thanks for the letter. What do you mean lacking in my faith. Paul thanks God that they were still doing well and prayed for them that they would have room to grow. This enthusiastic, exploding examples of God's grace who were walking worthy. They were were stewards. They were parents. They were beneficiaries. They were martyrs. They were walking worthy. Were still in need of gospel growth. Every single one of them. And until the day we die, we will always have something lacking in our faith. God is at work in us, and when he's good and ready to take us home, he will. But until then, for Paul, as it should be for us, the gospel is not the front door. It's not just the ABCs we learn when we were kids and we move on. It's the A through Z. It's the foyer. It's the living room. It's the kitchen. It's the study. It's the bedroom. It affects every area of our lives. And so like the Thessalonians, there may be holes in our faith that others can come in and fill what is lacking. But how do we do this? Well, Paul is a good lawyer like he was. Gives us 11 through 13. We can only love one another by divine enablement. That is our dependence. That is God's grace for the people of God. Now, may our God and Father... And our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and bound in one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And so I'm going to begin there at the end. The holy hearts of the saints, the heart he's talking about. We're going to talk about this a lot, both in Sunday school and here. The heart is the whole person. It's not just emotion. It's the whole person. And when he says, we want to establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God, that holiness is the idea of without sin. And when Paul says holiness before God, he's saying that's how holy we need to be. And only God can establish our hearts to do that. But when he's talking about holy, that's the measure of holiness we need, right? Cleanliness is the idea. Spiritual cleanliness, it's the idea of being spiritually clean. 
right? And even in our own lives, we have different levels of cleanliness. You go to the men's retreat in Moab and you're camping, your level of cleanliness goes down, right? There's just certain things you just live with. You wouldn't do that if you were going to a wedding, right? You, you, there, you enter shower, exit shower, then go to the wedding because at a wedding, we, we put on our best, put on a little juice or whatever that's called, cologne, thank you. We smell good, we nod our tie, we walk with our wife, we get cleaned up. But I would say even at a wedding is not as clean as it needs to be in the operating room. They don't want that love potion on you. They don't want anything on you. They want everything to be sterilized because if we're going to open that body and do work on that heart, we do not want any germs getting in. Do you see the progression? And I would say an operating room is, is far cry from the throne room. The throne room through which we can enter now with great confidence because Jesus paid it all. But that's the measure of holiness. And notice who it's coming through. It's coming through God. He may use instruments in the Redeemer's hands, but it is God's work. The hearts of the saints become holy through God's work. It's God's work in bringing us together, and it's God's work in building us up. Now, may our God and Father himself direct our way to you. The idea by direct there, it's clear our way. May he clear away any obstacles so that Paul could get back to the Thessalonians. He is a divine travel agent, making it possible for home to get, for Paul to get home. He was pulling, right? You want to get Mike home? We got to go get an agent and he's going to get him on a flight and it's not going to be from... Uh, Uh, Some part, we're getting him out of Manila, we're putting him in Tokyo, we're getting him over to Newark, and we're getting him back home. We're making it happen. And that's what Paul was praying for, because God is the one who sovereignly brings us together. And it is God who is the one that causes us to love other people. Causes us. Causes us. And may our Lord make you increase, or as the New American Standard says, cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So he didn't want his, their love to stop just with the Thessalonian church. For one another separates them, the one another's, that's the family of God. And for all, that's people outside the church, as we do for you. It's to overflow. It's a tidal way of of love that God causes as he works in our heart through the word of God that's objective in the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Our hearts overflow. It's a tidal wave of love. So not only does he bring us together, God is the one who builds us up. And so Paul shows us in this portion of his first letter, his delight, what he desired, What hindered him? What connected them? And he realized the whole way that the only way for him to succeed and them to succeed was the loving reunion and the building of God's grace. And so I want to ask us again, who do we delight in? Who brings us joy? 
Who do we long for? We endeavor and with great desire to see who are we connected to and who are we dependent on. So the challenge today is to delight yourself in the people of God through the power of the grace of God. Father, it is very, very clear in every section that we've studied in this letter that we are to turn to you by your grace for your glory. That you give us your word that performs its work in us by your grace and for your glory. And here, our desires should be for the people of God. Our love should overflow for the people of God, but it's by your grace and for your glory. I pray that if that's not the delight in any one of our hearts, that by your grace and for your glory and the good of those around us, you might do a work with the scriptures and the spirit to do surgery on us. I pray these things by your grace and for your glory. Amen. Well, if those of us, my God, for those who are helping with communion, if you will come forward and we're going to do something a little different today. We're not going to have a hymn after but uh, Sarah's going to sing a song um, that, is, is, that comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so if you'll just, as you're receiving the elements, just, just listen to the words, listen to um, what it has to say from the book of 1 Thessalonians. Then Ben will come and lead us in communion. And then we will go straight into a family meeting that will begin with a testimony of one who was taken away from us for a while, but he's back safe and sound. And we'll do that here in just a minute. We stand complete.
Yeah, we trust you, God. 